this is obviously a problem. So what's going on in my heart? And so starting to think about passages that might help me, principles that might help me, and then write about those things. So the next page, I'm starting to like, okay, what is going on in my heart? Why am I looking back at the last year and saying, I'm not going to thank the Lord for this? And working through to a point where I could. So writing about that. So now I've got two pages. And then once I've talked to the Lord about that and thanked him for those things and started to get my heart aligned, then I had another page where I was went back and was asking, okay, so what does that mean from this last year? What can I see God doing? Where are things headed? What's going on in my life that I can see and learn from and trying to conclude some things I can focus on for my 46th year of life? Um, so the day before my devotional journal might have been one paragraph, that day it was three pages. But then I bookmarked those three pages so that I can go back um, and find those kind of key moments. So that's what I'm doing right now. Thank you for asking. Somebody else? Something you learned this morning? Something you want to ask about from this morning? Hi, Gene. Where'd the mic go? There it is. I just, I'm really grateful for that reminder that satisfaction is not some pie in the sky thing. Um, it's down to earth. It's enjoying that he protects me. It's acknowledging him and the circumstances that I have before me, even if it's like something that feels frustrating in the moment the kids or other things like this is what God has blessed me with and given me the opportunity for and um, I, I think it's it's been helpful for me in the last 48 hours especially I think God preparing me for this just helping me see my own selfishness and sin because you're so much more satisfied in Jesus when you see that he rescues you from your sin it puts things in perspective when you're focusing on him as as rescuer mm -hmm. not just from this world but from my own heart right um, right so i'm thankful for that yeah good arthur um well, grateful for uh look for god and he's showing me the different perspectives where we can be entitled and say, hey, I deserve more. Just like Israel, the Israelites, when they're wandering and they say, oh, we deserve meat. We des and they're not great. They don't see the effort that God put to free them in an ungrateful heart and, mm -hmm. and it's grumbling heart. Mm -hmm. But then we can be put in a position of being humbled and seeing the blessings that God's put in our life that we don't deserve. Just, just like uh, who's that? Who's a king from Daniel? The king that uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, how God humbled him, and after that, he's like, "Oh, thank you, uh, the joy that's inside of me." Yeah. Because um, God was able to show him, uh, "Hey, I, I can, I got, I got you, and I can. Uh, I'm stronger than you." And he finally understood uh, a grateful heart, knowing yeah. God's power. Right. Good. Good. Another part of journaling for me, one, another thing that happens some days is gratitude lists. I have a, 
everyday part of my normal praying is a stop and think through the last 24 hours and express gratitude to God for those things. But sometimes in journaling, I, I just feel the amount of complaining in my own heart. I know it's a good day to stop and park and just write out things the Lord has been doing. So that's a, another thing that happens occasionally in my journaling. Good. Somebody else? Brandon. Mike's on the way. So um, the very last like illustration you used right before we prayed about um, the idea that if we could um, like be completely in charge of the, 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 like our wishes or our wants, we shouldn't. That hit me really hard. And I thought about that a lot and I was like, wow, that's, that's like really important for me because it's like, well, I want this thing. And if I was given the ability to get it, if God hasn't given it to me yet, then, you know, it's not God's will for me to have it right now. Hmm. But the more I thought about that, I was like, wait, because at the very beginning, you mentioned that um, satisfaction doesn't mean you don't care about or don't pursue achievements or new or something else, mm-hmm. but it's having a godly perspective on that. And so I was thinking about that because for me, I'm someone that is extremely like tunnel vision driven. Like if I get on something, I throw everything at the wall for that one thing. And I have a really hard time like half going in on something, like being driven while hitting the brakes on that thing. Um, And so how do you balance the idea of um, be satisfied in what God has given you and it like we should be content in God giving us what he has when he gives it to us, but also like being able to pursue things in a godly way especially for someone that when I start pursuing something, I tend to like lose sight of everything else. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you want to start with the certainty, the, the confidence that the thing you're pursuing is something God would have you pursue so that you can feel free to be unleashed in the pursuit of that in all the right ways. So there's a, wrestling with the Lord at the start, hopefully. And then there is the um, uh, having some type of monitoring process built in along the way. Somehow in your own relationship with God and in your discipling relationships with other people, having a way to stay on top of whether you're pursuing it in God-honoring ways and keeping your priorities right. And that's a combination of your own personal walk with the Lord and him using the word. And that's a combination of other people in your life who are like, Hey, Mr. Tunnel vision, this is tunnel vision in a damaging way, not a healthy way right now. You know, so those voices that can help. Um, so I, I think it's those two things. It's, it's the, the, the godly clarity and am I headed in the right direction? Is my tunnel headed in the right direction in the first place? And then the monitoring of, is my tunnel vision, which can totally be a God thing, right? Like, like the ability to be ruthlessly focused on one thing is not an ability everybody has. So that can be a really wonderful thing. It's the monitoring of whether this is staying healthy in my heart and life and relationships along the way, which I think is already something God's done a lot in your heart about. So I would say you're growing well toward that. Um, Does that make sense? Am I answering your question? Great. Back to Scott back here. Just a second, Mike's on the way. Don't ever 
get God to say yes. That would be my, because I've done that. <laughs> if I just mm -hmm. keep hounding, I know God will say yes. And so that may not be what we're looking for, but I, I hear it oftentimes in people that I, you know, I'm going to stay on this till God says yes. Yeah, right. And that's, that's a manipulation that you won't win. Right. Persistence in prayer is a great thing. Trying to twist God's arm behind his back is not a great thing. Right. Daniel. Um, yeah, I just had a question about um, so the, the verse that says, uh, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Mm -hmm. um, so I had always seen that as a, like a, um, like that's happening now. And when I, how I took that, and so I wanted to get your perspective on that. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I took that from the perspective of literally everything that is good from his definition of good I have if I'm walking up rightly. Hmm. Now, that might be him needing to grow me in some ways by making me wait for things. Um, but I just want to get your perspective on that. Um, I don't know if I not understood that correctly before. No, I, I think I agree with what you're saying. So it's an old covenant promise. So first of all, we have to run it through that filter. So we realize that the Mosaic covenant was built on obey and you get blessed, disobey and you don't get blessed. That was the whole framework. So we have to remember that's the old covenant context. Walk uprightly and you'll have good things. Don't walk uprightly and you won't have good things. And we're not under the Mosaic covenant anymore. So we got to run that filter first and first of all, see it through Christ. So the one who walked uprightly for us ultimately is Christ. And so that's why Romans 8.32 the promise that God will not withhold any good thing is because he did not spare his only son. It's because there was a righteous one already for us. So in that sense, we, we, we ultimately rest in the fact that that promise is mine in Christ. Maybe there is a corollary in which, um, you know, there's a proverbial sense in which even for a believer, you obey the Lord and life's going to go better than when you don't. Um, but I don't think that would be the best way to apply that verse. I think it would be, do what? I said, we won't ask Paul about that. <laughs> yeah, right. So I think it would be better for us to say, every good thing is mine in God through Christ, will be mine perfectly when he makes all things new. In the meantime, in a broken world, I don't need anything today. He is not limited in his generosity to me. That's what that promise means. I think I think you're, that's the same thing you said. I think mostly, right? Uh, yeah, I was. Okay, I was thinking of it from the perspective of um, you know wanting a relationship. You know, all these things that I would say, and I, I think back to a time in 2010 when I didn't have a job, and I I just remember resting over that verse and saying, mm -hmm. "God, you you want me to work? Like that's part of." the mandate you've given us. Yeah. And yet I don't have a job right now. So like, am I not walking uprightly? Like what's going on here? And I just remember really wrestling over that in my heart. And, right. um, you know, in, in similar ways now, just with different, different aspects of life, just thinking, man, this would really be good in my mind to have yeah. this or do this. 
Yeah. And and you know, God, why don't I have this? Why? And and so, I guess just resting with that in my heart, and just coming back to the fact that if I don't have it, it's not what's good. Um, if I'm walking uprightly, um, yeah. and and so just coming back to saying, God, I trust you, even though this seems good to me. Yeah. And you know, just show me, show me, please, why, why yeah. it's the way it is. So. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, we're in very tricky territory here. When as soon as you get to the why question, why isn't God allowing something in my life? We're we're in really tricky zone. In in general, we want to stay away from if I was just more godly, I'd have it. If I was just more upright, I'd have it. Remember, we've got to see Psalm 3410 through the lens of Christ primarily. But that doesn't mean that there aren't these, these checks in our heart where we ask a question like, okay, because we see this pattern in the Bible of sometimes God withholding satisfaction because someone's off track, I can at least ask the Lord that and say, would you show me? That may not at all be the reason why he's not allowing this job or this thing. I, if I assume that, I'm really headed down a dark path. But I can still come to the Lord in prayer and say, if that's what's going on, if you're withholding satisfaction because I'm off track, I do want you to show me that. But not get trapped in like a works-based, if I could just do everything right, then God will start giving me all this stuff in my life that I want. That's not what Psalm 3410 means at all. Um, so we got to avoid that trap. Abby. And then kind of adding on to what Daniel was saying, I really appreciated the reminder that lack is not always the worst thing. God can use our lack in really powerful ways. And then I love the connection from that to the idea that my satisfaction is directly related to me becoming more like Christ. Hmm. And so if the lack is accomplishing that, if the lack is making me look more like Jesus and is growing me and sanctifying me, then that's where my satisfaction is. <laughs> so that's just a good reminder for me. Lack is not always the worst. Sometimes it could be the best. Yeah. <coughs> Yolanda. That portion where the part in when you were sharing, you know, if you could have everything you wanted, and I'm like, I like, oh, that sounds like Satan. <laughs> You know, and, yeah, um, yeah, it does. All, all right. these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me, and I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want that. Yeah. And then it brought in my as I as I was listening to the sermon, it brought me to um, uh, Psalm 37:4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Right. And the, so that um, as I delight in Him. Um, I come to know him, and he transforms my heart right. to being alive. Changes what him. you want. Right. So, so when you see that, the, the satanic nature of that lie, you can have whatever you want, then look at how that is the pervasive life principle in our culture. You can have whatever you want. And the most important thing for you to do is try to get whatever you want. And the worst thing that can happen to you is to not get whatever you want. You see how... Genesis 3 has become the driving life principle for human life here today. That's the deceiver of this world 
um, deceiving on a massive scale. Scott? I love all those takeaways that you do and that you weave in your sermons. You did another gold one today that I just burned on the frontal lobes of my memory. But wanted to hear you talk more about the mysteries of God's sovereign plan for me. Because that, that right there, I've been thinking about it in a, very much another way. I've told you how this point in my life, how much I've done in my career that's been taken away from me and given to somebody else. And, and even this week work that I did that somebody else was able to take credit for. That's hard, but it's also good for your humble character. And um, so I know a lot of that's character building, but I just want to shut up and listen to what you think about that statement that you threw out there because it's fantastic. It's a golden one. Did, Mysteries of God's uh -huh. sovereign plan for my life and your life. Because that can apply to the, your every breath I look at as a gift from God, right? Yeah. Every breath is a gift. But yeah. there will be that last, last breath that's also a gift from God because it means something else. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, I mean, that's the theological question of questions, right? Um, so I'm just going to say two things. One, I think that there is a, it has to foundationally come from a deep, deep rooting in the love of God for me. It, it's not just a matter of submission to sovereignty, though it is that. It is submission to the will of the one who is sovereign, who loves me like nobody else could ever love me and has shed abroad his love in my heart. And it's just, it's remarkable to me how Paul in his epistles seems to put grasping the love of God as like the apex of spiritual maturity. And so I think that in the people who you see most deeply submitted to the sovereign will of God in their lives, no matter what, there is a deep, deep, deep grounding in the love of God for me. And then the one other thing I think you see I'm sure there's much more that can be said, but just one other thing I'll say for now. In people who just seem to have that, you know, the ability to just, with deep faith in the Lord, go with anything, no matter what happens. I think the other thing you see is this joy in fellowship with Christ. You know, the call is, if anyone's going to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and come follow me. And so I think there's this sense of suffering is a fellowship with my Savior. And again, it's a, it's a personal relationship with God thing. It's a closeness with God thing. And yeah, that's complicated when it involves our sin and our choices. And I, I know all that. But I still think there's a deep rooting in that I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Combined with that eternal perspective, you know, just this life's just a vapor. And this suffering, as horrific as it may be, it really is so short compared to eternity. Those seem to be the kind of anchors when you, when you read, when you listen to the people who just seem to be able to be settled in the will of God in their lives. Those seem to be the kind of anchors that, that um, hold them very firmly. Question. Pastor Eric. Both Scott and then Brandon brought something to my mind. And when you think of God's sovereign will, and when you think of 
um, the desires that um, you, you have and a genie comes and says, here, take them. It was actually kind of shocking and yet right when you said, say no, because I was thinking of what I was going to ask the guy to do. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, in those spiritual moments when your heart's been readjusted, it's like, you know, this morning my heart was struggling but singing together started to adjust my spirit and hearing the word together adjusted my spirit. And then you gave the illustration at the end of the sermon. So I was ready and I was thinking, Lord, those people at work that we shared the gospel with, I would ask you to open their eyes and bring them from darkness to light. And then my heart to be rightly attuned to you and my family to long and to love you. What do you do? When in God's mercy and miracle, you're longing and desiring to be satisfied with him doing a supernatural spiritual work. And yet always it comes short in this life. Like he's not doing the very things that you're begging him to do, which are his will. And so just maybe speak to that. Yeah, that's so, so hard and just such a constant challenge for faith. And I think it's the reason why you heard me this morning coming back over and over again to that just simple little truth. We're not in heaven yet. Uh, you know, things are not the way they're supposed to be. It is a broken, broken world. And in a broken world, I just have a million questions <laughs> because it is true that you can really, you can grow to a point as a Christian where your heart, even though you have struggles and sinful desires and things, your heart is just full of really good desires and you just long for God to do so many important things for his glory. And you are just praying and praying and praying. And then you're looking around and you're like, ah, why Lord? And, um, Oh, Hebrews 11, they just knew that this was not what they were living for. They were looking for a better country, a better city. And so God is not ashamed to be their God because they lived like this world was not heaven, <laughs> that this world was not what they were, were living for. I, um, I think that's just got to be so much of the answer. Um, I, I've said so many times to people in the hospital, because with some frequency, people in the hospital ask me if it's okay for them to want to die. And the answer, I, I mean, it depends on their, you know, where they're at spiritually, whatever. But in general, the answer I always give them is, you know, I think God spends our whole lives trying to get our attention to heaven, trying to get us to want heaven instead of the things of this life. And so if he brings you to that point, where heaven is the most appealing thing to you, it's really not a bad place to be. Now, of course, I'm going to explain to them, we, we have to trust God with the timing of our lives and the death of our bodies. Those things are in his hand. Of course, we're going to talk about that. But I just want them to be encouraged to know that if your heart just wants heaven more than anything else, that's a win. <laughs> you know, we spend so much life just longing for the things of this earth. So, I don't know if that's any help, Pastor Eric, but... Oh, Tina. <clears throat> Thank you for the message and the encouragement it brought. Um, so listening about contentment, seeing that as the subject, um, there's a struggle that goes on, you know, and a guilt that can go in there. Um, especially when there's grieving 
the good God-honoring desires that we have that may not ever come to be. Um, so I know that's part of the process is grieving and then surrendering to the Lord those things. Yeah. Um, to have that contentment and satisfaction. So that's a struggle, but your a message with all the um, verses and stuff was very encouraging. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for bringing up grieving because in this whole topic, that is, that is so important. I think, you know, grieving is partly the, the, the uniquely Christian ability to look loss right in the eye, to not shirk from it, to hate loss because it's not shalom. It's not the way things are supposed to be. And yet to still be able to live in a type of satisfaction and contentment in the Lord, despite loss that, that combination is, is unique to the gospel. That's, that's unique to Christianity. And so grieving well is very, very difficult, but a very important part of godly satisfaction. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, Josh. Um, as somebody who is looking for a path to choose in life, trying to choose a career and having a couple desired careers, but also being someone who prays for character building and for God to give me strength and perseverance, how do you tell when God is denying a desire or just saying not now or pushing you towards something else, a different path in life or a different career choice? How do you tell when he's challenging you and trying to give you strength and perseverance and if you should keep pushing for something? Or how do you tell when he's trying to say, this isn't what I want for you. This is not the desire that I have for you. Hmm. <laughs> wow. That is a great question. And I think every adult in the room who's walked with the Lord would say, wow, you're asking a hard question. Um, you know, I think that in general, we it would be best to default the idea that unless I'm getting some indication from the Lord's word and other people in my life, that there's something sinful going on in my heart in this area, then I can keep pushing. I, I would stay away in general from the idea that if things start to get hard or things start to go wrong, that I'm going to quickly assume, well, God must be trying to stop me. God doesn't need to try to stop us. When God wants to stop us, he's full well capable of stopping us. So I, I would stay away from like, kind of like watching to see if things are starting to get bumping. If they are, maybe God's not in it. I would first think, no, I'm going to keep pressing. Life is hard. Life is broken. There are lots of obstacles. But the big caveat is, am I being honest in the Lord in my heart? Has he been saying, come on now, you, you really want that just to satisfy your own passions or lusts or whatever in this way, and you're ignoring that. That's, that's partly what Scott was talking about when he was talking about how you're like, no, I'm going to get God to give me my way finally. That's what we obviously can't do. But barring that, going on in our hearts, as long as our hearts are genuinely saying, God, I really just want whatever you want, you do anything you want, then I say, biblically, press on through the hard things. 
pray for discernment in that case because it may be something you know, that's absolutely not godly, and you know it, but you want God to. And I don't even think God needs to show us what's right and wrong. We know. The recording needs that mic. Thank you for a great question, Josh. Okay, we have two minutes. Anybody else? Okay, yes, Luke, right behind you. So how does our satisfaction in God relate to us taking action and maybe sharing the gospel or just living it out? Uh, what's re- Make the connection between that and sharing the gospel a little bit more for me. What do you mean? That's what I was asking you to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, is there a connection there? We understand... We understand that because of that point that this is not shalom, that this world is not the way things are, there's a sense in which Christians are, a sense in which we're the most dissatisfied people of all, right? The world is looking around trying to create heaven on earth, and when they get their little wins, they get their politician in or whatever, they think, man, this is cool, like we're headed toward utopia. Christians know that's nonsense. That's nonsense. This is a world of people who are going to help. And so in that sense, we're the most dissatisfied of all. And so things like evangelism are motivated by that passion in our hearts that we know about eternity. And this life's just a vapor. And you got to know the Lord. And you got to hear the good news. So there, there is a godly dissatisfaction that drives those things um, that's kind of different from the Christian satisfaction that we're talking about this morning. Thanks. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, great. Okay, well, um, that was great discussion. Thank you for that. And I had this Bible study stuff ready that we just won't even worry about. Maybe we use it someday. Or maybe, well, maybe we could use it next Sunday. I teach Bible study next Sunday. Oh, we'll use it next Sunday. I wanna, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to understand for myself, and there are more terms that could be used, but in relation to that sermon, I wanted to think through what is materialism, what is consumerism? What is uh, the love of money? And what is covetousness? I just wanted to get kind of some clarity in my own mind about those things. Um, that's not the only way this sermon applies, but it's one way that it applies, especially this time of year. Um, so maybe next Sunday for Bible study. Pastor John's preaching next week, but maybe I'll come back and we'll do that as a follow-up next Sunday. January? <laughs> no, no, I picked my timing. We're in December. All right. Um, Let's pray. Father, seal these truths into our hearts. Encourage your suffering people. Convict us when we stray in our hearts into ungodly satisfaction of our desires. Fill us up with godly desires for your glory. And so help us. May these things shape our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.